This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Spy Subs in Sweden, a trilogy, and the author is Parker F. Campbell. And Parker joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Parker. Great to hear your voice today, Steve, and uh, thanks for calling. Look forward to talking about Spies of Sweden. Go ahead. Well, uh, all I can say is move over James Bond, right? That's what it says. <laughs> I mean, we got a new number one spy hero. That's right. Captain Peterson Smith, and he's got quite a resume here, folks. Formerly of the U.S. Navy, of course, a U.S. Navy SEAL. Uh, son of a famous senator, he's an F-14 pilot, an intelligence specialist, and he does all that with one har- one arm tied behind his back, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so he can is, you believe it? Yeah, well, I can because you know, I mean, James Bond was cool, but hey, it's the 21st century. That says it. That says it. That's it, right? That's it. So before we get into more about Captain Peterson Smith and all the different aspects of spy subs in Sweden, give us a little bit about your background, Parker, and how this book came about. Steve, I'm glad you asked me that because in a way it's a life's work. There's three novels that are uh, in this trilogy, Mini Sub 83, Mini Sub 99, Mini Sub 2010. So the idea, it all started, believe it or not, with an idea. I want to tell you a little story, and I think it's instructive. I, I know a young lady, she works uh, at a coffee shop, she's a barista, and she's studying English. And I was talking to her one day, and she said, You know, I'm studying English, I don't know what to do with myself, but I want to write. But here's the problem I need an idea. Okay, so this is me back in 1983 and uh, but what happened the Russians ran a, a sub aground in southern Sweden and in the press they called it uh, Whiskey on the Rocks and it was uh, you know it was uh, embarrassing to the Russian government and the Swedish government and um, it, it uh, gave me an idea and then there was uh, articles after that about many subs in the same area, the Baltic. And so I was saying to myself, I said, you know, wouldn't it be great if there was a James Bond kind of guy that could hop into this situation and and take care of it for Sweden? You know what I mean? That was my idea. So uh, I sort of started from there. I did an, an outline. It took me a couple of months to do that. And then once I did that, I started uh, doing chapters. And about a year later, this is 1984, I had a novel. The other two novels were completed around one about 2000, one about 2003, along in there. So I, I, had, I had a trilogy. That's sort of how it happened. Well, how is Spy Subs in Sweden just different? It is different. And um, 
I'm going to go over a little bit why that is. Uh, spy stuff in Sweden is spy genre, of course, and it's dominated in literature, you know, in the, in the last century anyway. It was dominated by British Secret Service. You know, people people like James Bond, George Smiley in the uh, Le Carre series, Austin Powers. I don't know if you saw the movie. I saw all three of them. I've seen all the Bond movies. Uh, spy Subs and Sweet presents a former U.S. Navy SEAL as the world's number one spy hero. But guess what? He's in Europe. It's both sides of the, both sides of the pond. So here we have a character which is going to attract interest from both North America and Europe. Okay. And he's a former U.S. Navy SEAL. And what happens? He doesn't get involved with British Secret Service. It's the Royal Swedish Navy. Okay? Also, also, we're talking about what's different here now. This is the 21st century. We get regular reports. We, we have a rover. The U.S. has a rover up on, uh, I guess, Curiosity, uh, wandering around on Mars, picking up information. We get regular reports back. Uh, what are we going to discover up there? What do you think Curiosity, the rover, is going to discover? So, Spy Subs in Sweden addresses the new issues of, the, of this century. And it addresses planet Mars. In the third novella of the trilogy, Captain Peterson Smith engages a supervillain, would you believe it, whose tentacles extend all the way to planet Mars. Did James Bond ever engage planet Mars? No. Did, did the Terminator ever <laughs> engage, you know what I mean, yeah, planet well, Mars? Exactly. No. No. <laughs> did, did, did Indiana Jones no. ever get up to planet Mars? No. Yes, that's okay. another no. <laughs> so Peterson Smith is the redefinition of the spy hero. He's a Viking spy hero, and he gets involved with 21st century issues. So is that why but, this book is important? It is important. That's right. And when you redefine something, I mean, I mean people, how many bomb movies have there been? 23? Uh, yeah, a bunch. Something like that. Yeah. It's, it's something like that. I've seen, if not all of them, I've seen 22 at least, you know what I mean? And uh, I have fun with it. I don't take it too seriously, but it's action-packed adventure. And this is the kind of thing that brings people into the, into the, um, into the uh, theaters. But let me ask you this. Has there ever been a mini-sub film or a mini-sub novel? And I can answer that question. The answer is no. There's been a submarine novel. Do you remember the uh, Hunt for Red October? Definitely. Remember that one? James Bond. <laughs> yeah. There he was. And uh, that was yeah. Jack Ryan, I think. Anyway, there was a uh, giant squid novel. Do you remember 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea? Right. Do you remember Anaconda? Uh -huh. Or was it Anaconda 1, 2, and 3? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the giant snake movie, you know, remember that? Giant 8 films, I saw both versions of King Kong. Robot films, you remember, have you seen Iron Man? I've seen Iron Man 1, 2, and 3. Mm -hmm. And uh, great movies. But never, never a mini soap novel. So th this is an original concept. So this uh, is, this movie, <laughs> I mean, this trilogy you feel is destined for the film, for the big screen. I would say it's got what it takes to go to the top. And, I will, and we'll talk about that as, as we go along. Um, yeah, and this mini-sub idea has never been... I mean, you remember... Did you, did you see Iron Man? Oh, yes. Yeah, 
So in the last one, there's, a lot, there's an army of these Iron Men. And, and the, the whole idea could be proliferated. I mean, I only have three in the novels, and they keep getting even more fantastic, right? But the idea is something, it's like a super Iron Man, under, under, underwater Iron Man. I, I, I often refer to the novel as, uh, the series, it's a series really, Underwater Bond, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I like this idea of why is it always British Secret Service? Get serious. This has run its course. What about a good old U.S. Navy SEAL guy as the world's number one spy hero? Well, and I think we've become more aware of Navy SEALs in the last few years than ever. It's just the news has talked about them, you know, for unfortunately uh, uh, there's been some uh, very serious news about them, uh, tragic. That's right. That's right. But it brings to mind, yeah, it just kind of brings it, uh, it your, your timing is perfect. Yeah. There is there is uh, an issue of timing here. Now, another thing, Russian espionage, right? So the character is involved with combating Rus- Russian espionage in the Baltic. And uh, we know right now, in terms of being topical, Russian espionage is a big issue. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Very big. Now, I, th- I think that it'll become, the novel could become topical for that reason, although this is, frankly... It's aimed at the entertainment market. <laughs> this is not what we would call. Um, it's 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 aimed at entertainment. Sure. And uh, it, it's a fantasy, and uh, but it's a fun fantasy. And uh, I'm going to talk about that as we go along. Um, but Captain Peterson Smith, and another thing, we say, why is it important? He confronts a, a superior force. There's no doubt. Russia is number one in Europe. There's no maybe not with the United States in the picture, but certainly in terms of European countries, Russia outclasses any any of these countries in, in having in military stuff. They're way ahead. So he's he, he's directly involved with this, and of course it's not easy to do this. So you have to respect the guy. You know what I mean? And um, another one of my dreams was to do what for America what Ian Fleming did for Great Britain. Mm-hmm. In other words, Ian, Ian Fleming, you know, established James Bond as the world's number one spy hero. Why not have Captain Peterson Smith be the world's number one spy hero? And not a British Secret Service guy, but 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 uh, a former U.S. and Navy SEAL. Catch what I'm doing here. I'm unifying, as a concept anyway, uh, North America and Europe and uh, one of the problems with Navy SEALs here, here's the, here I'll say it in a question where is the European glamour you know what I mean and we'll talk about that as we go along but you know royalty the Bond girls and all this kind of stuff how how do we get that in you know what I mean because <laughs> that's what people go to see sure. you know what I mean sure of course yeah they love European royalty, and even though we don't have it in America, but still, people people love to see that stuff in the film. You know, so the all these things, all, kind of the, all these things, and are so, just destined for your book to, of course, destined for the big screen, and also destined to be a bestseller. Yeah, well, let's take a step back. If you want to succeed, say I want to succeed, or the book is going to succeed in the film industry. Well, what do you think they need? You have to look at what what is it that the film industry needs. What is the film industry? It's the silver screen. 
it's a visual industry. They need something, someone they can do something with in their medium, which is visual. And, you know, an Indiana Jones, a James Bond, a, a, a Arnie Schwarzenegger kind of character. You know, the Terminator, this kind of thing. And, of course, Captain Peterson Smith is this in spades. Action figure personified, underwater sequences, travel to exotic locations in Russia and elsewhere, sequences on dry land, and uh, I'll say it like this, and in, in the third novel, he's out of this world. And uh, so this, this is the kind of thing that can make people step, step back and look. In the film industry, they're looking for ideas, uh, broad appeal, and uh, he's got it all. And, go, and, uh, and going up, I, I think it's, and going up against right. some very wicked, evil, uh, you know, adversaries. Obviously, oh, of course, of course. But frankly, I, I want I want to qualify that and say this is fiction, and it's directed at the entertainment industry. I mean, like, so like, remember Goldfinger? Did you see that movie? Sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, Goldfinger was an insidious... <laughs> but he was also a... You had to laugh at the same time, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, there's a so, little, little uh, tongue-in-cheek throughout the movie. Definitely. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right. So, European glamour, we've just got a few minutes left. Why don't you... Uh, Tell us a little bit how that has to do with the spy hero. What's the importance of that? Well, um, European grammar is a component of the Bond franchise, and it's something... Uh, we have Hollywood grammar, uh, glamour, Hollywood glamour, but we don't have European glamour in the sense of royalty. Uh, and, uh, you know, action and glamour is what makes something work on the, on the, on the screen. Uh, so Spice Labs in Sweden offers a jump shift from British glamour in action to Scandinavian or Viking glamour in action. Not Pierce Brosnan, Roger Moore, Sean Connery, and the Bond girls, but now these, these are speculative. Who are some well-known Swedes who, who could play this role? What about Ola Rapace? You ever hear of him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gary Hedlund. He was in Country Strong, I think. And um, Marlene Okerman, she's a big actress now. So these, these are the kind of actors or actresses that would be in this type of movie. A mm -hmm. Viking spy hero. And I, I, I wanted to uh, drop back a little bit. Readability is something that I put into these this book. And I'll tell you how I did it. I did a master's. And my master's had to do with word frequencies letter and word frequencies so you see the influence of it in the book I'm having fun with words and uh, it's a word celebration and I think when you read it you'll see the influence that having words uh, you know frequencies because there's unusual word uh, an original word usage in, in the novel so I hope hopefully the uh, reader will get something out of that well, we just have uh, just a little bit of time left. We certainly have to talk about Captain Peterson Smith as an action figure. He is. Five Seven Sweden and Captain Peterson Smith are truly out of this world. When did James Bond go to Mars? I mentioned that. When did Indiana Jones go to Mars? I mentioned that. 
When did the Terminator go to Mars? Mars? <laughs> the sequences are underwater, on dry land, and can you believe it, in outer space. Captain Peterson Smith is the ultimate action figure. The action sequences are constant, unique, dramatically different, and out of this world. Do you want me to give you the... Um, you can see the Kirkus reviews were really positive. You can get that on the Internet. Very good. As were Kirkus review was very positive, as was the... Um, Forward reviews. I think it's also called Clarion Review. Mm-hmm. You can pick it pick it up on the internet. And you can also and, go uh, to YouTube and see a book trailer just by putting in "spy subs in Sweden." Google it. Yeah, There's, if you Google it uh, or just set it in the, uh, the search engine right. and under YouTube, it right. comes up. Spy, it comes up. It's a beauty. They did a great job on it and uh, made me feel great. You know, the publisher would do that and. Uh, so, so, where, so, sort of, uh, so where do we my, get your book? Uh, What's the best way to get your book, Parker? Okay, I'll just Google it. But you can go to uh, iUniverse.com. You can go to uh, BarnesandNoble.com, and it'll pop up. And it's it's everywhere. It's it's worldwide on on internet at your local bookstore. But uh, you know, if you if you have any problems, just go to BarnesandNoble.com. Or iUniverse.com, and you can uh, you can order. And uh, I hope you have some fun. And uh, I, I want to say one final thing: if the reader could have one tenth the fun I had <laughs> putting this together, one tenth the fun, one tenth the fun. All right, I'll, I'll be. A, uh, I, I feel I, I will have succeeded. I'll well, leave you with that. Well, move over, James Bond. Captain Peterson Smith is here. He's in the book Spy Subs in Sweden, a trilogy, and we've been listening to the author Parker F. Campbell. Thank you for joining us on iUniverse Radio. Thanks for calling today. Steve. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Half Past the Dead of Night, and the author is Cleo Balden, and Cleo joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Cleo. Hi. Great to have you with us. Hollywood romance novel. I mean, everybody's intrigued by Hollywood. Well, as well they should be. We try to keep it that way. (laughs) And you live right there among a lot of stars. 
Yeah, I think so. Every once in a while I see them shopping at the grocery store. And they're just regular folks in, in regular life, but boy, are they big on the screen, aren't they? And in all the uh, gossip uh, publications. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've uh, inadvertently uh, subscribed to a movie magazine recently. I can't believe what I'm seeing. <laughs> Yes, well, well, we won't talk about that. We'll talk about your book. <laughs> well, before we get into uh, all the details, the characters, how would you sum up your book? What would be, a, you know, a summary of your theme, this Hollywood oh. romance novel? The young man is like fourth generation Hollywood. His uh, uh, his predecessors were in uh, makeup in the studios. And his uh, his grandmother is a uh, an old star. She came to Hollywood in uh, the late forties as a, a runner up to Miss Hollywood to to Miss America. Pardon me. Uh, she was Miss um, South Dakota, and she came to Hollywood and did six pictures. And he adores her. They're very funny together. They're they're all each other has left. The uh, his parents were killed in a um, plane crash, and he's uh, he's holed up in the uh, he's camping in the master bedroom in the old house where he grew up. <clears throat> Gave up his condominium and went home, and is desolate, just feeling bad and badder, but uh, also the. Half past the dead of night in, indicates that he's uh, he's going to pull out of it. Well, would you call this uh, a soap opera? There are moments when I've thought about that, yeah, <laughs> but I never watched them, so I don't know if <laughs> you it don't is. Know what they are? Okay. Well, uh, tell us a little bit about your background and how this book came about, Cleo. Well, I'm uh, I'm a designer. And I'm I've always thought about writing. I've been writing a, a very serious novel for the last 25 years or so, and I got it finished and I let out a, a, a large sigh, heard all the way to my friend and coach's house, <laughs> and she said, "Oh yeah, well I'm glad you're through with that one, but I bet you can't uh, do." anything modern and so I did and it, it was a perfect day for it it was the presidential primaries and we went to vote and our 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 uh, precinct had been combined with another one and in their side um, under the uh, curtain that was like a tunic on the booth, you know what they look like. Right. Uh, my character sees this pair of glorious legs, and uh, when she comes out of the booth looking as though she had done the, the whole duty herself, he follows her to the elevator and uh, convinces her that she's done a noble work and she should go to lunch with him. <laughs> so they do. And uh, it's uh, it's a matter of uh, three dates before you can get her to bed, and they become 
very, very much in love, very much a couple. She owns a showroom. This is the other side of my life, is the uh, decorative trade showrooms, mm-hmm. which are very much a part of this town. Now, you you chose to do the the format of the book in dialogue. Why did you do that? Well, my other book was completely without dialogue, not a single quote in the entire thing. And so I, I shoveled them, I whisk-broomed all of those into a box <laughs> and, uh, and, and used them generously on, on dead of night. Uh, it's, it's an interesting way to do it. It almost writes itself. If you want to describe something, let the character do it. They just start talking, don't they? You, then you can't yeah. shut them up. You can't shut them up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's an interesting way to describe things because then you know you've done it from their viewpoint. Now, why is your favorite character the grandmother? Well, she's edgy and funny, and some of her lines are delicious. My editor said her favorite of my word games was was the grandmother. Uh who said, uh, heck no, mister, she ain't heavy, she's my cat. <laughs> <laughs> and they they quote movies all the time to all one another. All the time. Back and forth with, with movie quotes. Well, that's uh, people who love movies, and if you're in Hollywood, you probably are drenched in it. Oh, yeah. I was surprised at how many people I know know all the good quotes from movies. Now, uh, why do you say Casablanca should be seen once a year at least? Well, it's everybody's best movie, isn't it? Well, it is one of those favorites, isn't it? Yeah, when have you seen it lately? Well, you know, I don't see it every year, but it was about, uh, well, it was probably a year and a half ago, you know, going through Netflix and, you know, there it was. And I thought, wow, (laughs) I haven't seen that in an age, so... Yes, those were, I, I don't know, those were the good old days. I, I guess that's what your book is, you know, you're developing character. You're really developing it through dialogue. That was the way Hollywood built its empire and developing characters. Yes, yes. You know, the, today and it's of just... of all the gin joints in the world. <laughs> I mean, today it's just mostly special effects and, you know, fights and oh. uh, gun battles or whatever. Yeah, there's too much of that, but there's that other good stuff, too. That's true. That is true. So, tell us about this Emmy, one of your main characters, Emmy. Tell us about her. Well, her initials are M-E, and uh, so it got combined into Emmy. And sometimes she's uh, Aunt, Aunt M from the, from the Wizard of Oz. She's, uh, she's 30 years old, and she's had a job right out of high school in a, uh, a showroom, a decorative showroom, and now she owns it, and it's just full of all sorts of wonderful things, uh, period chairs, uh, old, good old stuff of, of her, uh, her choices, and she's doing very well at it. She has some movie star clients. And, of course, uh, Jared Duncan, this handsome heir to a cosmetic fortune, he just loves her. 
Yeah, well, they quote the same movies. <laughs> that's it. When you quote the same movies, that's love at first sight. Yeah. <laughs> well, paparazzi, what? Oh, my goodness. Are, do those folks bug you? Pardon me? The paparazzi, do they bug you? Uh, they're often out on our street. Are they? Yeah. Yes. So who who are your neighbors? I mean, who who lives nearby? Well, James Franco used to live next door to us. He swooped in here and, and redid a house and never moved in. And uh, there's somebody else who, whose name I can never remember uh, who lives uh, across the street. And that uh, I just assume the rest of the hills are full of them. Uh, Katie Perry lives up the hill from us and and rates a uh, a tour bus that goes on up to her street. <laughs> and then it comes back down past ours and doesn't even look at me. It does it. Oh my goodness. Well, that's not that's rude. That's I don't wave. Rude. <laughs> You don't wave, huh? Oh, my goodness. Well, um, you talk about everyone having a personal celebrity. Now, who was or is yours? Well, uh, my husband is, of course, a brilliant celebrity. He's a, he's a writer. He does beautiful stuff. Um, but the uh, the personal celebrity was his father. Oh. And, from the name Melchior, you can guess who that was. Well, or do you remember old opera stars? I don't. Tell me. Uh, Lawrence Melchior. Oh, okay. All right. He was the uh, the greatest Wagnerian tenor that ever lived. So in your book, Half Past the Dead of Night, uh, this Hollywood romance novel. Do you? Is there any intrigue in here? Any edgy, uh, you know, mystery or anything? Or is it just pure? Nobody love? gets killed, and has all these people looking for the killer. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> not okay. a one. Not a one. Okay, so it's it's all about. Well, it's all about Jared Duncan and Emmy. Yes, really, and the, and the side side street people and and they they form a corporation and to do a project and their uh, their assistants are all their posse from high school she went to a private school but he went to hollywood high and uh, he'd been recommending his buddies to the makeup company that his family had one of them was finally ended up my managing it and uh, all of these people got together and formed a company and did a project and some of them were even fourth generation and third generation and prop departments and costumes and uh, oh, electricians my favorite is always the electrician because <laughs> he says he has the power he has the power, that's for sure. What what uh, time setting is this? What what year to year? What are we talking about? Well, it started on the uh, day of the elections. 2008, okay. In, in a way, yes. And uh, for a while I was writing on real time. That was very interesting. 
like every day was the same day as as the novel for a long time before I got to needing extra time. Well, and we also you also talk about the writer's strike and why that was so bad. Oh, that's so bad because when they go back to uh, to work, it's not the same projects. Everything that was about to go and make somebody's career goes to hell mm. and is never seen again. Mm. Wow. And awards, are they important? Oh, my, yes. Oh, aren't they just? So when, uh, when the movie An award start, is, yeah. is, is a, you win a career. Ah, okay. Yeah, you get that Academy, uh, you get, the, you know, you get the Academy Award, and boy, that can, uh, you can ride that for some time. Oh, yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> and uh, we recently had an anniversary party across the street at, at Chateau Marmont, and uh, the uh, Screen Actors Guild, uh, or Screen Actors Awards, were mm-hmm. Uh, part after after awards party was there, and Ben Affleck and his wife uh, looked in the uh, pushed the curtain aside and looked in on our party. <laughs> we <laughs> thought that was great fun. <laughs> well, did you invite him in? Well, uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of loose around there, which is, which room is which, and uh, he settled down on the sofa next to the. Uh, pastor of the danish church and they had a lovely chat well you're you're lovely to talk to very nice to talk to cleo uh, all about Thank you. all about your book half past the dead of night cleo balden b-a-l-d-o-n cleo tell us what's the best way to get your book well of course amazon is so easy well, that's right amazon uh, of course just- well, you have iUniverse is your publisher, so... Yes, that's right. Well, thank you. You can get it from iUniverse. Well, thank you so much for joining us on iUniverse Radio. I thank you. Thank you very much. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Our book today is Waldo Emerson, My Grandfather and Me, a novel written by my author Eugene X. Perticone. Welcome to the program, sir. 
Well, thank you very much. And you're joining me from New York State, pretty part of the world. Uh, thank yep. you for, for taking time to visit to the, today. This is a fictional work, I understand, but it has some other elements to it. Share the background story. Why was this written, Gene? Well, um, it was written basically on the uh, impulse following an intuition that I should do it. Well, that's I, interesting. Um, yeah, I've been uh, you know very conversant with the writings of this particular um uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, and uh, it was sort of a personal inspiration to get going on it. You have uh, authored other books in addition to this. Are they all fictional? No. The first five books have been uh, either clinical psychology books or personal growth books, things of that sort. This one, does it have any of those elements? Uh, you mentioned to me you have some underlying themes. Do they uh, pull from that background? Well, yes, I think so, because uh, the book is essentially... Uh, it's got many facets. It's very, very light reading. It could be enjoyable just reading a little story of a boy and his grandfather and the nature of the problems that his family faces. But it also taps on things that are very, very serious and uh, profound, rather, when when the grandfather starts teaching this boy things about Ralph Waldo Emerson, who isn't exactly easy to understand. Oh, that's true. Uh, you have had a fascination with Waldo Emerson, and uh, you must have done some research related to that in order to weave it into the, your storyline. Well, not really. This is a very peculiar thing. In the book I talk about, the, the grandfather talks about um, to the, the grandson how ideas can come through a person as opposed to coming from a person, and he gives examples of this. Um, you know, the, the point is that when something comes through a person, it's as if it doesn't come really from him, but from some inspiration inside that he doesn't really know about. That's actually the way the book was written. There was no preparation, no research, no outlining beforehand, but chapter by chapter, just sitting at the keyboard and going ahead with it and see, uh, seeing what came. The main characters, obviously a grandfather and his uh, grandson, what names Correct. do they have? I beg your pardon. What, what are the na- yes, what are the names of your main characters? Uh, well, there is uh, the grandfather, whose name is Sam, um, and there is the grandma, who is also just referred to as grandma. There's the boy's father, uh, his mother, and especially his girlfriend, uh, uh, a girl who becomes his girlfriend, whose name is Sally. Now, the grandson himself, uh, what age would he be, and uh, who's your target audience because of that? Well, not necessarily because of that, because the book is designed to appeal to teenagers, but also to certainly to adults and teachers who work with young people as well. So it's um, rather got a broad spectrum of uh, potentially interested readers. 327 pages. That must have taken a while to complete. How long did it take? It took 38 days. One chapter, really? One chapter a day for 38 days without any planning. That's incredible. And I, maybe it's the inspirational part of the country you're in, but how did that come about where you just had the energy and the desire and the story just flowed? Well, the idea came to me uh, oh, at least six months before I actually began writing, but I, I'm very busy. I work primarily, I have worked primarily with people doing counseling and things of that sort uh, with them. And I had this idea in my mind, and then one day I said, I've got to sit down at the keyboard. And I did, and wrote the first chapter. And then every day after that, it was the same thing. Write another chapter. Again, as I said, the book unfolded by itself as if I was not writing, but something inside of me was doing the writing. Just inspiration. Well, it may have been inspiration. Whatever it was, I am uh, very grateful for it. I don't take all the credit for it. There's something else besides me. 
As you began the outline and the story, did you develop it as a character-driven plot, or is it uh, personality or action-driven? Well, it was really uh, driven by uh, wanting very much to get across the ideas of uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, because I think they're very, very uh, necessary for humankind, especially with the kind of messy world we have today, that is to take on not, not simply an appreciation of the natural world, but to understand that it has correlates that we can call spiritual, for want of a better word for it, and it's the balance between these two in a person's life that really makes him or her a whole person. Which of those lessons do you think came through the strongest in those messages? Well, uh, I think uh, it, it's really hard to say because I think the, the, it, it appears that the book is designed, although I didn't intentionally uh, design it this way, to serve needs of different people at different stages or in different places in their own lives. I could see teenagers um, uh, relating to this book in terms of how to get along with parents and how to get along with your boyfriend or girlfriend. I can see people who are just interested in light entertainment, but... Uh, wanting to be reminded of their own um, early days as uh, young children. And I can see people who are interested, actually from a scholarly point of view, um, in rehearsing or reviewing the concepts of uh, uh, this great American uh, philosopher and poet and writer uh, in a way that's uh, entertaining as well as instructive. You begin Chapter 1, I was only one month from my 12th birthday, when on one rainy August afternoon I find myself feeling particularly bored and frustrated because I had nothing special to do. Did that draw from your own life experiences? It most certainly did. As a young fellow, uh, summertime was always wonderful because there was no school. But on the other hand, um, especially for a kid that lived in the country, there weren't uh, too many other people around, and uh, uh, very often I'd turn to mom and say, Mom, what can I do today? And she would make suggestions that sometimes I'd follow and sometimes not. <laughs> I think I've been there. I think a lot of your readers will have been there as well. Sally mm-hmm. is an important, uh, I guess, side note or part of this chapter, or part of this, this storyline. Uh, chapter 10, you have Sally meets Waldo. What is that chapter about? Well, the, uh, the two uh, youngsters, uh, Sally and... Um, uh, Matthew, who's the um, real main character of the book, who tells the story from his own point of view, are at a very special place that they go to very often. It's called the Glen, and this is an actual place that's a beautiful spot with a beautiful little stream running through this uh, Glen-like uh, uh, valley. And um, they have that chat, and Thanksgiving is coming up, and the young boy Matthew realizes that uh, Sally's family doesn't do things in the traditional American way, what I think is a traditional American way, which is having a turkey for Thanksgiving. And he chats about this because they always have a ham, see. And that's no big deal, but she could see, uh, he could see that Sally would love to have had that experience too. And he says, hey, why don't you come over to my grandpa and grandma's house because that's where we're going for Thanksgiving. And she, her eyes open wide, and oh, gee, she'd love to do this. But then she says, I, I couldn't do that. Mom would be very upset if I didn't want to stay home with the family for Thanksgiving. So to make a long story short, uh, an idea comes to the boy uh, about a particular concept that Emerson has in his essay, a Self-Reliance. It's about um, being true to yourself and um, you know, not living in lie. And so he raises this question and, and actually brings the girl home and gets the book and reads that particular sentence 
uh, from the essay. And he points out, look, it's not just you wanting to do what you want, but if you don't at least try to do this, you're not being true to yourself. In other words, you're living a lie. And that's kind of an indirect and subtle kind of understanding that even a lot of adults would understand if they read that sentence. That uh, no matter how long you've lived in, in life, it's better for us all to live in truth, and that's good for everybody. And he says, see, it's good for everybody. So anyway, the girl gets the inspiration, and she's encouraged by him. She actually talks to her mother about it, uh, you know, and to her surprise, uh, they have an interchange, the mother and uh, Sally, uh, like they've never had before, where they're both confiding, and they end up hugging each other. And to make a long story short, she does spend Thanksgiving here. So she learns the lesson of living in truth and at least facing it. And if, you, if I can't do it, okay, that's fine. I can't do it. But at least I'm honest. And I'm honest with myself, which is something that being a quote, good, unquote, girl, she typically wouldn't do because she'd defer to other people's uh, wishes too often. Important concept that you shared. Yes. And when you began this, what time frame, what period is this novel set in? The, uh, Time frame is, is approximately the early 50s, perhaps the late, very late 1940s or early 50s, and it's written from that perspective. No electronics to interfere with personal interaction. That's correct. <laughs> that was a good choice, by the way. I like that idea. If you were to introduce this in a couple of sentences to my listeners, what would you say to them to get them interested in getting their own personal, unautographed copy of Waldo Emerson, My Grandfather and Me? Well, I think what I would say is that this is a book that's really easy to read, just a simple enjoyment. It will be a reminder of their own lives, but it also contains very uplifting ideas about spiritual possibilities that can really be put into practice in the reader's own lives. All the things that are in the book, in other words, if you take them as suggestions for yourself, you'll see that you can actually put some of these ideas that the kid is learning from his grandfather into life practice to make life a little bit better. I like your perspective. Are there a couple of other things that came through when you completed this, maybe lessons or other things that the reader can take away from this? Well, I think there are. There, there, there's the, the, particularly the understanding that everything that we pay attention to is material, but all things in life experience aren't material, some are immaterial, and I equate that with spiritual. Spiritual means not having a substantive body, not, not something... But it is nevertheless real. An idea is real. You have a dream, it's real. But you can't show it to anybody. You can maybe describe things, but you can't actually present it as a material thing in front of another person. And we don't pay attention to that aspect. If you pay attention to nature, and of course this is a lesson of Emerson, and look closely at it, you'll see that the things in nature correspond to something else, both in the practical world of one dimension and in the spiritual world in another dimension, and when you get a sense of that, and you try to live in a way that balances both, you, you don't miss what life is really all about, at least in my opinion, and certainly in Emerson's opinion. 327 pages, you are an advanced author, having completed six pieces or six works before this. What was the challenge that you faced getting this one completed? Well, uh, quite frankly, the challenge uh, was only to uh, trust myself to let it go. In other words, not try to 
figure out what I should write, but just let it come through me instead of coming from me. That's something that's not easy to do because I've been trained in scholarly tradition, having been a college professor as well as a psychologist in private practice. And that means always thinking, being very rational, and uh, um, reasoning things out. But reasoning isn't always the best solution. In fact, if you look at the world today and see how people in different parts of the world are reasoning, it's not so good. Mm. Trusting things coming from the heart, that's also very, very important. I don't mean it should be one to the exclusion of the other. Both perspectives are very necessary for a balanced life. Tapping the emotional side, then, was the challenge, and you overcame that to complete... Waldo Emerson, My Grandfather and Me, a novel, our author, Eugene X. Perticone. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Where can my, my listeners get copies of your book? Well, you can get it probably from any bookstore who can order it for you, but the easiest way is probably online through something like uh, Amazon.com and uh, Barnes & Noble. Both of them sell the book at something of a discount, which is probably an advantage. This book looks as though it would be an enjoyable read. Great afternoon activity for those that are looking for something to do and an adventure all rolled into one novel. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. I really appreciate your time and interest. Thanks so much. My pleasure. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company iUniverse Radio is produced by Toginet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.